listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Peter, where we have been. This is week three of our series we have called Exiles. Exiles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you, and you can take that one home if you don't even own one. Glad to give that to you, or we can get you one in the back, a newer one. Um, but just want you to follow along and be able to find where we're at and where we're going. We have a, uh, a new member in the Fowler household, Maisie, our 15, 16-month-old uh, dog needed a, a buddy. And so we got uh, Maisie's the, uh, the one on the bottom, and that is Maverick. Yes, Kenny Loggins, Highway to the Danger Zone, Tom Cruise, Maverick. Yes, that is his name. Um, and he is a... They don't even know. He, Grand Pyrenees, Lab something. I don't trust Humane Society. They told us the last dog was going to be 40 pounds. He was 100. So I don't, I, don't, I don't trust what they say. But he is, they are buddies. And Maverick loves to eat. Loves to eat. And so when it's time, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and he hears the, the, the food moving or the bowl come out, I mean, it's like night and day. He is a different dog. He is there. Right? And we have to separate them during mealtime because not because they're mean or anything, but because Maverick eats so fast that he will eat his food and then he will run to Maisie's dish and he will bump her out of the way. And she's so sweet, she just let him. And, and, just, and then she'll finish off his food because he just loves it. So she eats in the kitchen. We have to take Maverick to the laundry room. So we get the bowls together. We put you know, Maisie's down. And then I will take Maverick or my wife will take Maverick's bowl and walk to the laundry room. And it's like a different dog. I mean, he, his eyes are up, eyes fixed on the bull. He will stand right there. You stop, he stops. He's just like, and then he gets in the laundry room. He knows what to do. He's the most obedient. He's like, he should be in that like dog show. He's so obedient at that moment. Why? Because he knows his future. There is something in his future that changes his present reality. Makes him different, makes him new. And I was thinking about that in light of our text this morning of where Peter is going to take us. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, that is our reality. Because of our future, because of what God has done, because of who we are now, it changes our present reality. We started a few weeks ago in this book and we called it Exiles because Peter is writing to a group of Christians who live in this area right here, modern day Turkey, who are now living as exiles in their hometowns, not because of, uh, they've moved, but because now they are followers of Jesus. They've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, and they are outsiders, and they are treated as such, and there's opposition, and there's persecution, and they're struggling, and so he's writing to encourage them in that. And the first 12 verses, he stays in the indicative mood, right? And that's kind of a fancy grammar term, but what that means is he's stating fact. This is true. 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 And today there is a transition in the book. He goes from the indicative to the imperative, which is command, which means in light of what is true, do this. In light of your future, you are chosen, you are his, you have an inheritance, you have a privilege that is higher than the angels, higher than the prophets. In light of all this is true, now do this. You've heard the phrase that people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And what Peter is gonna say is, you should be heavenly minded so that you are earthly good. 
The idea is not, yay, Jesus coming back, yay, it's so good, let's just sit around, sing kumbaya, and have Bible study. That's not the idea. The idea is my hope is there, and because it is, of all God has done, what is truly indicative, now it makes me earthly good. It changes my present reality, right? And that is where he is going today. The things that he has done, they demand a response from his people. They demand a response, right? And, and it's important that you understand the order there. It's eternally important, right? It's not, I'm gonna be nice so that I can be a child of God. I'm gonna be good so I can get my inheritance. It's not what's going on here. Your identity and the truth of what God has done, it drives your reality and not vice versa. There's this great scene at the end of Saving Private Ryan. Great movie, one of my faves, where you know uh, Tom Hanks and his platoon go out to find Ryan because his brothers have been killed and they found him and they have this big battle and Tom Hanks is, is at the end, he's dying. And he grabs Jason Bourne. And he says, Ryan, earn this. Earn it. And then it flips to that, that scene where uh, he's older, he's kneeling at the grave in Normandy of, the, of Tom Hanks, and he says, I hope, I've, I hope I've earned it in your eyes. That's a moving scene, and it's not the gospel. It's the opposite of the gospel, right? It's not, I hope I've earned this. That's called religion. It's not, no, God says, this is who you are. This is what I've done. I've done it all. I chose you. I set you apart. I sprinkled you with his blood. I did all that. Now, in light of all that and the inheritance that I've given you, that's protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Because of all that, now do this. And it's important, eternally important that you don't get those two mixed, right? Because one is religion and one is following Christ. And so what he's gonna do for really the rest of the book is he's gonna give you his imperatives in light of his indicatives, all right? He's gonna focus on three, we're gonna see three things today. He's gonna focus on our minds today, our actions today, and our motivation today. Those are the three areas today he's gonna deal with. I wanna kind of zoom in and how this is gonna impact how who you are and what he's done and your inheritance and what's out there is going to impact those things. So let's jump in to verse 13. First word, therefore. And whenever you see the word therefore, What's your response? You ask, what's it there for? That's right. Some of you have been trained well. You have a good, good pastor. Not, not really. All right. Anytime you see the word therefore, you ask what the therefore is there for. All right. And so he's looking back. Because of what I've just said, inheritance, chosen, privilege, all these things, because of all this great stuff that God has done, in light of that, He's gonna give us three commands. And and the English versions are all over the map here. And the original language, and I like to drop Greek a lot because I'm not an expert. I took a lot of Greek, seven semesters in seminary, but I took 12 years of PE and that doesn't make me a a professional baseball player, okay? So just because I took some, but here's the idea. There's three main commands in our text. And those commands have participles, this is very English for some of y'all, that are linked to it, that describe them. But there's one command in this verse, Right? There's one main command that he's trying to get us at, right? And it's this, preparing your minds for action, being sober in spirit, ESV gets it right there. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the command. That is the imperative. And it's an intense, it's do it and do it now. Get your mind 
focused on what Jesus has done and what he will do. I want you to be heavenly minded, not so that you just sit around. It's gonna make a difference, right? But I want you to get your mind on that, get your hope on that. So a couple of us, the offices have been getting painted and a couple of us were out of our offices this week, me and Coleman and Gardner, it was our turn. And so I was in the nursing mom's room all week, okay? And uh, Coleman's in the coffee area. And on Thursday, he's like, maybe we'll get back in our offices today. I said, do not get your hopes up. Peter is saying the opposite. Get your hope up, way up. Fix your hope completely, fully on this grace, right? Get your, I want your mind there's a laser focus there that you're fixed on what God has done and what he is going to do. When Maverick, when, when he hears that, that food and he sees that bowl, he will follow you and hit you, you holding that bowl up in the air and he will just look up at it. He just look, he's moving. He's not just sitting there. He's moving, but his eyes are fixed. His focus is fixed. And when it is, it makes him move. And Peter's argument is going to be, when, when your focus is there, it's not going to make you not earthly good. It's going to make you earthly good. What you do is going to actually impact the rest of eternity. That's what he wants, right? And so if that's going to be the case, he gives two participles in this text. They're going to tell you how. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. That's how you fix your hope. It, it kind of informs how that works. And the way I summarize that is this. When we're talking about our mind, what's Peter saying? He wants us to think clearly. Think biblically, think accurately, be ready to think. So he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. And this is a, 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 a phrase in the original. It's literally, gird up the loins of your mind, which is, doesn't make any sense to us. But to them, they get the idea because they would wear these long robes normally that would keep you from really being able to do much. So if you needed to get ready for work or you were a soldier and you needed to run and needed to be in battle, what you would do is you would tuck this robe between your legs and you wrap it up, kind of like a diaper, like an adult diaper, yes. And you would tuck it into your belt. And so now your legs are free and I can move. I can play kickball. I can run. I can do all these things. Why? Because I've girded up my loins of my, and he's saying, do that with your mind. Get your mind ready. Sharp. You're not sleeping. You're not kind of sashaying through life. You're ready. Your mind is prepared. It is spiritually ready. And he says, be, being sober, and it's not just, oh, uh, don't get drunk. Okay, that's it elsewhere in the Bible. That's not the point. The point is, no, don't, don't just get drunk. The point is, think clearly. Think sober-mindedly. Think biblically. Don't be distracted. Again, when Maverick sees that bowl, I can offer him a little milk bone or a little treat that he gets when he goes out. He don't want that. That's nothing, because he's got the bowl. He can see Maisie's bone over there and Maisie over there. Oh, go play with your, go play with Maisie, go play with your bone. No, 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 he is so singular focused. He's so set right there that he's not gonna be distracted. That's the idea. You're singularly focused. You're ready to live in light of eternity. Because y'all, if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, if you're not girding up the loins of your mind, it's not gonna happen. You don't just grow because you wanna. You don't just, you're not just aware because you wanna, you have to get ready. You have to be prepared. And there's all sorts of, you could be creative in all sorts of ways. It might mean you wake up 15 minutes early and you know you got this meeting at eight. You gotta drop off kids here. You got this. And so you just spend five, 10 minutes praying. Okay, Lord, I got that hard meeting at 9.30. Please help me to be gracious in that and to be clear. Uh, please help me to get on time with this. Help me to do a good job here. You're just praying through the day. Get your calendar out and pray through the day. Read a Psalm. 
Read something, right? A chapter of of 1 Peter. If you're in the shower and you're doing your memory verses out loud, do them out loud. They might think you're crazy, but do them out loud. You're renewing your mind. You're doing your hair. You're doing your makeup. Get your praise music on. Listen to a podcast, something that'll encourage you. Get your mind ready. Oh, and I get the kids, the boys in the car and I take them to school. We listen to the briefing from Al Mohler. Put it on time and a half. We can get it done in like 12 minutes. And then we, we've been listening to Atomic Habits. Just a book on changing your habits. Why? Because we want to be clear. Getting ready for the day. Prepared for action. You be creative. You do what you need to do when you're at the gym or whatever. But don't just think it's going to happen if you're not ready. Right? Because if not, you're going to be asleep. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be lulled to sleep or lulled off, off, your, off your hope into lesser hopes, uh, expense accounts, money, keeping up with the Joneses, the approval of man. And we have a whole young generation that's equating like they have in the past, love and sex, and so they're giving themselves away because of something flashy that's taken them off their hope. We have one-fourth of all American marriages have infidelity because someone was flashy over here or something over here, and they're pulled away, thinking that's gonna bring hope. And he says, no, 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 it starts in your mind. Romans 12, two. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may know what the will of God is, that which is good. See, God's will is good. It's not like Debbie Downer, it's good. I've come to give life and life abundantly is good. And so if you're gonna know it, you're gonna be ready and you're gonna be preparing your mind. And so the question is, what are you gonna do this week? To gird your minds up, to be ready, to set your hope fixed completely, right? That's the first thing he says. Get your hope up. Be alert, be awake, right? Let's continue, verse 14. As obedient children, don't you love the assumption there? All right? He's like, uh, you're not talking about me. Here's the beauty. Yes, he is. Because Jesus was obedient and because you are in Christ, that's who you are. And we all know what a disobedient kid looks like. We've all been to Walmart. We've seen it. He says, not that. As obedient children, He's going to give a negative and then a positive. And the negative is, is a, again, the participle that's going to modify the command in the next verse. He says, not being conformed or not, do not be conformed is way ESV, but it's literally not being conformed. As obedient children, not being conformed. And it's a great little word. It's only used one other time in all the Bible in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And what's interesting about this participle, it's in the passive voice. Again, I'm getting very uh, ninth, 10th grade English on you here, I know. But this is what that means. If a verb is in the active voice, it means I hit the ball. I'm doing the action. If it's in the passive voice, you're on the receiving end of the ball. I was hit by the ball, right? So the difference is is significant. He says here, he doesn't say, "Don't, don't conform yourself. He says, don't allow yourself to be conformed. And the implication is something is out there trying to conform you, to squeeze you into a mold whether you know it or not. And he says, don't you let it. Don't let it. It's happening all over. You can't even watch the Olympics without it being, you being bombarded with all, I can't just watch the Olympics without having, oh, look at these two guys that are married. Isn't that great? Not really. Uh, look at this person and their, how they express their expressive individualism and how they do this. It's all about that. I can't just watch track and field. I gotta be bombarded by all these things and all this stuff. Kevin DeYoung said it so well in his blog this week. He said this. 
Here's the reality facing every Christian in the West. The money, power, prestige of the mainstream media, big time sports, big business, big tech, and almost all the institutions of education and entertainment are invested in making sin look normal. Yep. David Wells, professor, seminary professor, says this, worldliness is whatever makes righteousness look strange and sin look normal. That is what the world is trying to do and that's why he calls you in exile. And what Peter is saying is, don't let it happen. Don't be conformed. Don't, don't go back to your former ignorance. I mean, I, you just, does anybody in here, I just really wanna be ignorant. I mean, no one says that, right? But he says, don't, don't, then don't go back. When you were ignorant, you didn't know any better. Now you do. Don't go be ignorant. Verse 15, he continues. Here's the contrast. But, and it's strong. Not this, but this. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy. That is the command. Be holy in all of your conduct. The word all in the Greek, you know what it means? All. Very good. Did you go? Did you go? You so Greek. All means all. Be holy in all your behavior. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Right? And, and the key there is the why. As he who called you is holy. And, he, and at the end, since it is written, you shall be holy. He quotes your favorite book, Leviticus. And says, you shall be holy. Here's why. I'm holy. That's why. You be holy. Why? I am holy. You, I am your father. I am your God. You are in me. I am. I am in you, you are mine, you bear my name because I'm holy now, you live holy. And so what he's saying ultimately is once you fix your mind, once your mind is thinking clearly, then with your actions, just be consistent. Be who you are. If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. If you have been raised with Christ, Colossians 3, Seek the things above. There's a change. And that's what he's saying. Just be consistent with who you are. Be consistent with your new nature. Holy, set apart. Now, when we talk holiness, that's, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions, right? So for some, you like, holy means strange. It means I'm carrying a King James Bible with highlighters and I wear a uh, I'm with him Jesus t-shirt, right? You know, something like that, right? That's, that's not what he's talking about. Or some of you, holy means rules. Keep the rules. No PG-13 movies, no mowing the lawn on Sunday, and, you know, no fun, right? But when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? He doesn't go to a bunch of don't, 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 which is what some of us do. He goes, here's the greatest commandment whole Bible summed up in this. Love God, love your neighbor. That's pretty freeing, isn't it? That sounds like an abundant life. Love is a positive thing. So when Jesus says, what's the ultimate? Love and love. Not don't, 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 don't. And we got to get that on our minds that God is good. See this, for some of us, we think holiness, we think no fun. That's the Satan in your ear, Genesis 3, God's not good. God doesn't want your best. That's, that's what's going on. And, and, and what he's saying is, no, no. Love me, love people, right? In the end, what holiness is, it's just being like God, being like Christ. It's, it's Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's Ephesians 5, be imitators of God. Be like God, follow God. Be like what he would do. So again, when I got the food up and Maverick, he's right with me, he follows me. He's got his head up, he's walking. If I stop, he stops, 
I start, he starts. I mean, he's, he's with me. He's following me. He's close, right? That's what it means to be holy. You're close. You're being like him. And the applications, look, we could go for years in applications. It's not a bunch of don't, don't, don'ts. Here's what it is. Someone hurts you. A friend, a parent, a spouse, a boss. You don't one-up them. Why? Because what Jesus does is when people hurt him, he forgives. And so if you're gonna be holy, that means you forgive. That means if you write something on your Facebook and someone starts doing this, that you don't try to one-up and one-up and one-up and have this, this is sick, which is quite entertaining of me reading, by the way. Thank you very much. But to be like Jesus would not be to kind of battle each other on social media, right? Because a soft answer turns away wrath. That's what he would do, right? When something bad comes up on the TV that you know is inappropriate or on your computer or on your phone, it's not look around, delete the history. It's close it and run because that's what Jesus would do because he says flee immorality. That's what he would do, right? When you come home from work and you're tired and it's been a long day and everything's been chaos and some, a child or a spouse or someone says, can you please do X? Can you do Y? And you're like, I've been working 10 hours. I've been dealing with this all day long. I am tired. I am weary. And I do not like you right now. What does Jesus do when he's tired and he's weary after a long day of preaching and a long day of healing? He sees people as sheep without a shepherd, he has compassion on them and he keeps preaching and he serves them. That's what holiness looks like. That's what it looks like, right? It, it, it doesn't, everyone's acting this way and dressing this way. Well, I'm gonna dress pretty but modestly because that's what Jesus would want me to do. I'm not gonna lie to my parents and sneak. If someone says, hey, what's, up? what's the answer on number 17? What would Jesus do in that, in that moment? And I know that's the quarterback or that's the popular person and you want to be liked and you want to be accepted. Jesus would say, you should have studied. I know the answer because I'm sovereign, but you should have studied. <laughs> right? That's, it, holiness is not walking around citing creeds. It's just doing what the Lord Jesus would do in that situation. Right? Being distinct. What would he do? How would he respond? What would he say? And, and again, I can't emphasize enough. This is not a suggestion. Well, you might want to do this. Be nice if this, if this was you. He says, do it. it it's, and it's in a tense. It's like, do it and do it now. This is who you are. Do it. Be it. It's not a suggestion. It's not, well, maybe. Do it. Be holy like me. That's who I am. And, and the church needs to take this seriously. If you think, look, and I know in the church this, this big, if you think that Jesus is, would be okay with you just hanging out with a bunch of folks and oh, it's just a little dope, it's not a big deal. It's natural, it's legal in Colorado. If you think that Jesus would join you in that, you are sorely mistaken. Because he would keep his mind clear because he wants to lo- love the Lord with all his mind, soul, and strength. And I don't care if it's legal in Denver and it's legal in New York, he wouldn't do it, right? Because he, he, he's going to think soberly. If you think he's going to stay over at his girlfriend's house because it's not a big deal, he wouldn't because his desire is for his bride to be spotless and pure and that is what he does. If you think he's going to slander that person or laugh at their failures, 
He's not. You think he's gonna run to Amazon therapy or Netflix or food or some other functional savior when he's down or lonely? He's not. He's gonna run to his father. That's what holiness looks like. And that's what the church pursues and tries to walk in. Not perfectly, because you won't until your salvation is revealed in the last time, but that's what our desire is. And I think the reason, if we're really honest, if we're really honest, that the church in America and in the world has so little impact often on its environment is because we're not much different than our environment, except for the fact that we get up early on Sundays. Right? I mean, that's the reality. We're not distinct. We're not set apart. But what if the thousand or so folks that show up here on a Sunday morning start taking it seriously and living distinct? Not weird, not obnoxious, not Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt, but just showing up at work and, and being kind to your employees and running your business above board and not cutting corners and not watching YouTube at three in the afternoon when you're tired. And people are like, why are you just different? Because I have a hope, because I have a savior. Why, are you, why do you date in that way? Because I have a God and he says, this is the best way. What, would, what kind of impact would a thousand or so people going out into a city of 300,000 have if we started taking that seriously at SCAD? at Memorial, at, your, at Gulfstream, at Jenkins, at wherever. What kind of impact, right? And so the, the challenging question for you is this. Ask yourself, where are the areas that the Holy Spirit is kind of putting his finger on? Yep, Fowler has more issues than you, but he's right on this one, right? What, what is that issue? Is it some relationship, the way you talk, your viewing habits, right? the way you treat people? Uh, what, what does he want to bring into repentance? And we would say to, to do that today because there's grace and mercy. But, but don't just sit in it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart is what the writer of Hebrews says. We wanna be heavenly minded so that we are earthly good. And so we gird our minds up, we're ready, we think clearly, and then we act consistently with who we are and what he has done. And there's one more thing here. Last couple of verses, verse 17. And if you call on him as father, and there's that father language, there's that father, son, father, daughter language again. And the if there, by the way, it's, it's a conditional statement that's assumed to be true. So it's, and if you call on as father, and you do, which is a great truth, by the way, you get to call on him as father. Who gets to call on him as father? Jesus gets to call on him as father, rightfully. He says, now you, if you address him as father, and you do, and he judges impartially according to each man's deed. That's an interesting phrase. That he is just and he is impartial. He doesn't play favorites. He's completely just. I was reminded a couple of weeks ago, my daughter first started playing volleyball back in sixth grade. She's learning to serve. You know, she's on the little middle school team. And if, if you have a volleyball kid, you know that if you show up before the game early, that you will get recruited into being a line judge. That's just the way it is. So you learn to show up late after, uh, for, after a while so you don't get rooked into that. But so I show up early and they ask me, you'd be a line judge? Okay, I'll be a line judge. And we've been working on serving and, and all sorts of things. And sure enough, my daughter comes up to serve and I'm standing at the line. And if you step on the line in volleyball when you serve, it's a foul. It's a foul. Right? And so there she is, and she goes up and she serves. She steps on the line. You know what I did? Poof. Foul. Is it because I didn't love my daughter? No. 
Is it because I didn't want her to succeed? No, I wanted her to serve it so hard that it hit the other girl in the face in the name of love and Jesus and get the point. That's what I wanted. But I gotta be impartial because if I'm not impartial, I'm not just. And, and that's the idea, God is just. He's, if he's not, then he's not holy. So he says, if you address the one who judges impartially, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for your sins, but for your service. Paul says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be evaluated for your service as as a follower of Jesus. And he will be impartial. I gave you this, I gave you five minutes, I gave you 10 minutes, I gave you this. What did you do with this? How did you serve? How did you utilize these? How did you steward these things? So he is impartial. He says, if you do that, here's the command. Conduct yourself in fear throughout the time of your exile. Again, there's that language. You're in exile. While you're in exile, conduct yourself with fear. Phobos is the word. You get the word phobia from it, right? And, and I think the, some of your translations bring out the idea, well, I don't think he means that we're supposed to be just scared all the time that God's gonna whack us or call us foul. And that's, not, that's not what the idea is. But I think it's reverent awe, which is what some of your translations say. Reverent fear. There's a reverence and the way you live your life. Not that you're scared, but that you are reverent. And he tells us why that's important. This is important. This is how the participles come into play. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He says, you were ransomed. You were imprisoned. I paid the ransom. I redeemed you from slavery to freedom. And I didn't just give a little money. I gave the most valuable thing that I could give, the precious blood of of my son, right? The one, he says, who was foreknown before the foundation of the world. We were in perfect fellowship, the triune God in perfect fellowship, eternity past. And then at Calvary, God the Father, for the first time in all eternity, turns his back on the son. He forsakes his son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He pours out his holy justice and wrath on his son. Why? For the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God? It was for you. I paid the ultimate price for you. I did it for you. And this is his point. The motivation is not fear walking around. It's because of the high price which God has paid. He wants us to live fearfully, live reverently. Look what God has done. Look what he has done. Let that be the motivation to flee sin. It was your futile way of life. You were in ignorance. So while we are here in exile, we make it our aim to please him. That's the motivation he wants. That you would, that that love and that grace and that everything would motivate you. It's not a guilt trip. It's look what God has done. I want to do this. And so we live reverently. We live in light of who we are. My dad, when I was growing up, he rebuilt with a buddy of his from the, from the ground up a 1964 Falcon Sprint Convertible which is kind of a, the poor man's Mustang for those who lived in the, uh, in the 60s. Had a nice 260 horsepower. We put a four barrel instead of a two barrel. Had high performance headers, a little hearse shifter, four on the floor. It was great. Four on the floor for those of you who don't know is, was you actually had to shift gears in back in the day. You didn't just throw it and hit a button and throw it and drive. You actually had to shift gears, right? And this thing was sweet. Metallic blue, white soft top. And he would let me drive it, which was a miracle. And when I took that car out, I treated it reverently. Now, did I get rubber in three or four years? I did. 
did I enjoy the top down and my hair as short as it was flowing and, you know, kind of looking at an AM radio. So I was listening to, you know, AM radio, like, yeah, I'm cool. But did I enjoy it? Yes. Was it fun? Yes. But did I, was I careful when I parked? Yes. Did I make sure I didn't get a speeding ticket? Did I drive it reverently? Yes. Why? Because I knew the blood, sweat, and tears that went into that. That car was perishable and I treated it with reverence. What, what Peter is saying is when you, when you just run back into your stuff, you, what you're ultimately doing, when you do that willfully, is you're saying that the Jesus' blood doesn't matter. It's not precious. You're just spitting on it. You're saying that my sin, this little addiction, this little whatever, is more valuable and brings more joy than him. It says, this brings me more hope than that. And what Peter's saying, don't, don't do that. Be motivated by the love of God to stir you on to love and good deeds. Again, when I, I'm about to feed Maverick and I'm holding that bowl and so we get close to the room, he'll run in and he will turn around and he will sit. I'm like, man, you should be in that dog show. You are unbelievable. He sits there and he waits and I put that bowl down and he'll just sit there and wait for me. I mean, the most obedient thing I've ever seen. And I say, one command, eat and boom, he eats and he's, thank you. You're the best master ever, I know. This is why dogs are good and cats are evil. Because a dog realizes they feed me, they take care of me, they are God, I am not. And they're thankful. Cats, because you feed them and take care of them, think they are God, and that's why they're evil. <laughs> but he's appreciative and he's thankful and he comes out and he's so happy and his tail's wagging. Right? And that's, in a silly way, I'm not trying to dumb down God, but in a silly way, that's, look what God has done. Let that motivate you. And if that has been lacking in your life, I would encourage you while we sing and we give a time for response and just to, to sing or think, is just ask the Holy Spirit, please make that a reality in my life. Let me see the joy of your salvation again like I used to. And take the, the, the flashiness of the world and this idol and this addiction that I feel like is gonna bring me joy, but it doesn't. Let me again restore unto me, this David says, the joy of my salvation. Then, he says, I will teach transgressors thy way. Then sinners will be reconciled to you. That, that should be your prayer. Right? That you get to live a new life, abundant life that only Jesus can offer. And if that's never been your experience, if you've never had a heart to follow, you've never had a heart to do what God has said, not perfectly again, because none of us are. If you've never had that pull and you're, you're running headlong into sin and it doesn't bother you and you're seeing no discipline of the Lord, I would challenge you to, to really evaluate, are you really born again? Because if you are one of his and you're running headlong into sin and there's no discipline, the Lord disciplines those who he loves. It's possible that you are going to church and you're going to group and you're doing your stuff, but you're not really a follower of God. Because even, even the, a little bit, there's a desire in the born again person to follow, not perfectly, but there's a, there's a heart for the things of God and not to run away from God. Right, And again, it comes back to the fact that God is good. He chose you. He made you his own. He gives you an inheritance, a living hope. He's offered a future. And so what's the what now? We got our minds ready. What are you gonna do this week to get your minds ready? Get ready and think clearly. Our actions are consistent. Where has there been inconsistency? Ask yourself and then repent and turn and go. Right? And then we'll be motivated by the love of God to live fearfully because he's an impartial judge who gave all he could give. And if there was more, y'all, 
He would have given it. He gave all he could give. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe, not earn it, Ryan, whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why don't you guys, if you want to stand, if you want to sit, that's fine. But if you want to stand, go ahead. I'm going to pray and we will sing and respond. If you need someone to pray for you, we have some folks in the hall that would love to do that. Um, again, this is a time for you to just respond to the word, not to, to a very imperfect sermon, but to the perfect word of God. And if God is speaking, man, respond and listen. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. It, it is a knife that cuts Um, It is uh, a mirror that shows and reveals. It is a consuming fire sometimes that refines. And whatever is necessary, Lord, to make us more like you, to be holy for you are holy, uh, do that in all of us. Because we know in the end that you have our best, that you want to make us more like Christ, that you want us to stand before you one day and hear, well done, a good and faithful servant. So make that true. Uh, For those who are uh, just wrestling with just life, to know and be reminded they are loved, so loved, so cherished by you that you would give your only begotten son. It's in Christ's name I pray.